Welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast, the original all-turkey, all-the-time podcast with your co-hosts Andy Galliano and Cameron Weddington. In our weekly podcast, we're going to bring you some wild turkey calling tips like this. From there, we're going to go into, she's aggravated, there's another hen that's challenged her, or she's challenging another hen, she's going to cut an excited yelp. Advice from old pro turkey hunters like this. The turkeys typically don't like, I think, more times than not, to travel in an easterly direction into the sun first thing in the morning, especially after he gets up. It's a blinding thing. It, it, it's just like you. It's hard for you to see into the sun. Mm-hmm. So if I have a choice, I'm going to try to make it so that I'm going to be on the west side in the morning east side in the afternoon of a turkey exciting live hunts like this holy crap they're coming teach you how to cook your bird with advice such as this with some fresh rosemary and garlic and then cool that off and spread that along the inside of that butterflied turkey breast that we've seasoned on both sides wildlife management tips for your property especially with turkeys like this if you look at the type of habitats that turkeys need for nesting and brooding that tends to be habitat that can be managed more successfully with growing season fire than with dormant season fire. And hopefully along the way, we'll get plenty of these. Well, on November the 28th of 1953, I was attached when I popped out of my mom and the baby doctor spanked me on the bottom. I went, oh, and I've been doing it ever since. <laughs> I like that. Thank you for tuning in, and now, for this week's show. Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode number 413, Predator Control for Better Wild Turkey Hatches. And I am your co-host, and the guy who's not real sure if he's coming or going right now. And I'm your co-host, and the guy who has begun the search. Ooh, now I gotta know what search. Looking for him, or them. Uh Uh-huh. Those which I plan to pursue with a shotgun next weekend. Yeah, you're down to mere single-digit days, are you not? Yeah, so next weekend, not this Saturday, but next, we'll be opening day of fall shotgun here. So, I gotta find find some boys to pursue so it's that that's most of the challenge to be honest oh yeah (laughs) it's just finding them this time of year they're they're truly the black ghosts of autumn so well you had a pile of them on a trail camera have you been back to that area to my camera's dead so yeah that's going to be one place that i will definitely probably hunt a couple days and I just for personal reasons, I don't want to just go whack one in the food plot because my camera showed me he's there, you know. Yeah. But 
the camera's been dead for a week, so I think that's fair. I know that they're around there, though, so I'm going to go probably up there at some point and do some scouting, find some scratching, you know, figure out what they're feeding on these days and, and see if I can't figure them out. But I did go out Sunday afternoon, I guess. Actually, it was Sunday before church. I went out because uh, Josie woke me up really early and I couldn't fall back asleep, so I was out at daylight and Went to where I've killed my two past fall gobblers, and I found quite a bit of scratching, but I think it was all hen scratching. I, I, I didn't see anything that looked like gobbler signs, so they're around, though. If I could find the hens, the, the gobblers aren't far. Now, are you sure that's hen scratching because you found some nail polish and lipstick yeah. and yeah. jewelry laying around? Yeah, that, that was exactly what I found. You know, it's okay. just obvious that it was hens nuts with... <laughs> It is true. I've found this to be true from my experience. If the scratching is around the base of the tree, it's most likely male turkeys and most likely gobblers. And if it's out kind of in the middle, you know, not right by the base of the tree, those are usually your hens. And I don't ask me why. The only book I've read that had an explanation for that was that the the toms know that most of the food will accumulate at the base of a tree and they will scratch there. But it, it is absolutely true. If you find scratching where it's obvious the turkey was at the very base of the tree pulling leaves away, you will most likely find feathers that confirm it was gobblers in that area. And if it's little scratch spots out in the middle that are small, it's usually hens. So I have also read and or heard the same thing, but it makes me wonder how is it that hens don't know this because they have the same eyesight that male turkeys have. (laughs) Hey, maybe it's a a hierarchy thing and the hens are like, hey, you know, we leave the bases for the boys. (laughs) You know, and it could very well be. I mean, there's a lot of things in nature that are way beyond my scope of reasoning so yeah who am i to question something like this all i can say is there are some things that don't make sense and there are a lot of things that don't make sense that i'll never understand so yeah i don't you know i'm i've seen gobbler scratch in the middle of of leaves as well so i know that it could be either but I haven't really found scratching that was around the base of a tree that there was hen feathers to confirm. Because this time of year, unlike spring, usually if you find scratching, you can confirm what it is because the turkeys are molting. And if they're sitting there scratching, you know, they're shake, they're moving their bodies a lot at that point, And those loose feathers are typically falling out. So if you find scratching and you get kind of narrow in there, you, you can find out what you got by yeah. finding a feather. So... That's what I have noticed that, but it looks like it was hen scratching and I, I saw a couple of hens in one field a, a little ways off, but I haven't found my band of bearded boys to chase yet. I know there's still plenty living in there because I heard them screaming their brains out right at the end of Tennessee season and I got to go call them up and watch them, but they're still living. So, yeah. Well, maybe during deer season this year, I'll make that one of my goals to really study turkeys their feeding habits and you know if i'm lucky enough to see a flock or two and can watch hens not scratching around the base of trees and toms scratching around the base of trees maybe i can offer my own two cents when it happens yeah i i usually you know if i read something once and that's it may not pay as much attention to it 
But when I read four, five, six, seven fall turkey hunting books, and they all say that exact same thing, that piques my interest from yeah. people all around the country. Yeah. And so I start looking anecdotally at my own cases of, could this be true? I'm going to investigate. And so far, I would say it does seem to be accurate. And again, doesn't make sense to me, but what about turkeys makes sense, you know? Yeah, very true. Very true. <laughs> Who knows? Hey, yeah, like so. I've always said, they're not called wild turkeys for no reason. Exactly. So I, I will keep you updated on next week's show, let you know if I have located, hopefully, the whereabouts of a flock, kind of as my goal right now, so that when I go in the woods opening day, I know that I'm at least within earshot, hopefully, of, of those turkeys. And so that's that's the biggest part of the battle, in my mind, with fall hunting, is, is just finding these jokers, because they are so reclusive. And like Mike Chamberlain said, they don't necessarily change their home range they just shrink it to very small. And so you got to figure out where that is. And then you don't have him yodeling from a half mile away to let you know he's there. So exactly. that, yeah. that makes things much more difficult. But yeah. why yeah. are you not sure whether you're coming or going? You ever have those days you just wake up and you're like, from the start, it just seems like you're going and going and going and going. And there's no real direction that you're going. You're just going and, you know, as... Charlie Daniel says in one of his songs, you're stepping and fetching like your head's on fire and your rear end is catching. <laughs> and so, I guess, yeah, I'm pretty sure I've experienced one of those days yeah, at some point. So I'm, I'm having one of those days today, but you know, I, I've got to say this. I started out my morning eating a bowl of cereal and listening to part of the interview that we're going to play on the oh, show yeah. today. And I just listening to that again got pumped up. I mean Dude. if our guest today, Jeff Nimnick, doesn't get you fired up and ready to go out and hunt some predators, then I just don't think anybody can do it. I gotta say it's you know, we're a turkey hunting podcast and this doesn't pertain exactly to hunting turkeys, but for predator management, you know, I hear it all the time. People just, oh, I don't like trapping. I don't want to trap. I, I can't, I can't stand seeing the animal in the trap, you know, whatever. Well, here you go. This guy's going to tell you exactly how you can go out and do predator management. No yeah. trap necessary. Yeah. So, you know, for whatever reason, and I can understand it to an extent, people don't want to walk up to a coon in a cage trap and shoot him, but they're happy to have one run into a call and shoot it you know <laughs> yeah same result in the end for the coon but it's like i guess he has more of a fair fight or something i don't know what the the wire brain thinks that way but jeff is gonna go through how the you know raccoon calling and it's something we can all do very inexpensive i mean i got a, a fox pro patriot for like 80 bucks i think and have killed coons with it so this is a strategy where you can Go out, have a really fun time. I mean, it's fun, and when it happens, it's incredible, and, and, and still help turkeys with no traps needed. Well, and you know, a lot of us this time of year want to get out into the woods. Yeah. And do something. You know, the weather's nice. The mornings are cool. We get some really, in the southeast, we get dry weather typically this time of year, so, you know, we don't have to worry too much about getting rained out, and... For someone like me who lives in Alabama, 
yes, I can go hunt hogs, but this to me is more exciting than going and sitting over a corn pile, yep. praying that a hog or 10 or 12 come in. And so, you know, and what Cameron mentioned about this being inexpensive is very true because not only can you buy the most inexpensive predator collar you can find, but you can also go online and record or download to your phone sound files, yep. individual sound files of these predator sounds or prey and distress sounds and take your Bluetooth speaker that you use out at the beach or out at the lake or out in the driveway while you're working on your car, take that Bluetooth speaker with you, put it out in front of you 10, 15 yards and play the sound you just downloaded onto your phone. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, it doesn't, it just doesn't get any less expensive than that. But, you know, if you want all of those options available to you for a bunch of different predator sounds, prey sounds, fights, whatever it happens to be, then yes, you're probably going to want a good quality electronic collar. Yeah. So. Yeah. I'll, in our show next week, when we go over our thoughts on trapping and calling, I'll kind of tell everybody my setup. I'm pretty happy with it. Very inexpensive uh, for coon calling. And yeah. so I, I think y'all are really going to enjoy this show. It's something that's unique. Not many people do this, and it's really fun, and pretty much any landowner will give you permission to do this. <laughs> yeah. So so why don't and, y'all check out this interview with Jeff, and I guess we'll see you guys on the other side. Hey, everybody. Cameron and I are glad to tell you we have on the phone with us today Jeff Nemnick, and Jeff is with Coyote Craze. He is the host of of Eastman's Predator Pro podcast. And if that's not enough and you just can't get enough predator hunting, go on YouTube and type into the search bar, The Last Stand. And I've got to just right off the bat, Jeff, I've got to thank you for a completely wasted, as far as work goes, but not as far as entertainment goes, Monday. Because (laughs) I went to The Last Stand and I was like, yeah, it's going to be just, you know, so I'm not going to say boring guys, but just your typical YouTube hunting shows. And it is very much not that. It was, I think I watched an hour and a half of your videos today. <laughs> and I've got to tell you the, I think it was season three, episode one, where the coyote the linebacker coyote and the canyon full of coyote. I'm sorry, the linebacker bobcat and the canyon full of coyotes, where the bobcat attacked the collar as the coyote was running in. That was awesome. Yeah, that was wild, man. But that appreciate awesome. the kind the kind words, man. We put uh, we put a lot of time into that. We've kind of perfected it over the years. The unique part about it is Rick Paulette and I co-host that, and we have a long background in in videoing coyote hunts. You know, I had a I had actually had a coyote hunting DVD series back in like the late 2008 through maybe 2014. And he's had, uh, you know, even a, a much longer, you know, series than with the Verminator calls and things like that. And he actually partnered up with Randy Anderson, which I'm sure everybody's familiar with. Um, so we both came to the table with, uh, you know, kind of this background in filming coyotes and coyote hunts. And uh, once we partnered up with Lucky Duck to, to start this show, it's it's been great because 
honestly, when we started the show or when we were back in the day when we were filming, him and I would be the ones running our cameras. So mm-hmm. we didn't get to shoot a lot of coyotes. You know, it was all of our buddies always doing all the shooting and stuff. And but now that that we actually kind of have this full blown YouTube series, you know, we have a production company and real camera guys that come with us. So it's really cool because now we can just hunt and and they just capture everything and uh, we can do what we do. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Some of the most exciting predator calling hunts that I watched today that you guys did were the coon hunting. And I want to pick your brain about that as far as setups and time of year and so on and so forth. And I know Cameron wants to pick your brain on that as well. Oh, yeah. So I have a question for you, though, before we get into talking about that. And no is an okay answer because even though this is the Turkey Hunter podcast, this is an episode on predator hunting and getting rid of those critters that like to eat all of the turkeys that we want to kill ourselves. So are you a turkey hunter? You know, I have. I, You know, back, you know, in the early 2000s, I used to hunt everything. You know, I'd hunt turkeys and especially turkeys. That was always fun to me because it's, it's calling, you know, and that's really yep. what I love about coyote mm-hmm. hunting is you're is you're making some noise and you're getting these coyotes or whatever animal to respond. Um, so yeah, I did do some turkey hunting, you know, to me shooting with a shotgun was always easy. So I got into the bow hunting with them and that was frustrating cause I wasn't really a bow hunting guy, but, uh, but yeah, I've killed a handful of turkeys. Um, my boys, I have three boys, you know, a couple of them are teenagers now. So, you know, they've, they've been all over the country shooting coyotes with me. So the coyote hunting to them is kind of boring, you know, <laughs> Um, I don't do anything really anymore other than coyote hunt. Just that's just what my passion is and what I spend all my time doing. But they're kind of the point where, you know, they want to try all this other stuff, you know, hunting deer, hunting ducks and geese, hunting turkeys. Yeah. You know, so my my oldest boy, actually, one of his friends was old enough to drive last spring. So, you know, I made some calls for him and got him on some some properties that that I hunt coyotes on that I knew had turkeys because, you know, of course, you're going to see him across the winter and and, uh, early spring when you're out there, you know, shooting coyotes. So, yeah. Um, he went out on his own with his buddy and they ended up killing a couple turkeys, you know, so that was kind of fun to watch him come back. I, I don't know if they called him in. He, I think they ambushed him and, you know, snuck him, you know, that kind of you know, spot stock kind of a, a deal. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, so, yeah, so I'm sure there'll be more of that now. He broke out all my old decoys and calls and stuff that had been hanging in my garage for probably 10 years. So that was cool to see them them doing it. But turkey hunting definitely, definitely is a cool thing. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. We think so. Uh, yeah. I'm glad to hear your your sons are getting interested in it. That's awesome. Yeah. And and taking it on on their own as well. So that's proof positive you raised them right. Heck yeah. So not be don't be afraid to get out there and do it. Just go do it. Well, I really was introduced to predator hunting just because I asked one Christmas for a predator call from my parents. This has been, I don't know, eight or 10 years ago. And you know, I don't know how old you are, but at some point you get to that age to where parents or wife or whoever ask you what you want for Christmas, you're like, oh, uh, nothing, because I don't need anything. If I need something, I go buy it. And so I just said, you know what, I'll take a predator call. And so what do you want? So I send over to my mom what I want, and then Christmas rolls around, and I'll be darned. There's a predator call, and it looks just like the one that I picked out of Cabela's that she wanted <laughs> or that I wanted. And so I, I got fired up. I was like, all right, I'm going to try this out. I had no clue in the world. I never even pulled up a YouTube video to, to even watch to learn anything. And I went to our hunting club, which was about a 1,000, I think we were about 1,500 acres at that point, mostly wooded property, 
But we had this little pond, about a two-acre pond on the property, and had a food plot, probably a two-acre food plot on the side of the pond. And there was woods around the other three sides of the pond. And I said, well, I'm just going to set up here one one day. You know, it was one morning, and I hate morning deer hunts because when does the hunt end? Well, it <laughs> ends at dark, and I'm not sitting there that from morning until dark. So anyway, I'm out there with the predator collar, turn the thing on the dying rabbit or something. I don't even remember what call I turned it on. And that thing's just screaming away, screaming away. And this fox jumps out of the brush along the edge of the food plot and tries to pounce on my little decoy that I had out there. And I had an AR-15 with a raised scope on it. And the fox was at about 25 or 30 yards. And I shot over him three times. This was not even thinking, you know, that I'd be shooting high at that distance. And so I, after he took off running, I got up and I went and I got the call out of the field and I called one of my, one of my best buddies, big turkey hunting buddies. We learned to turkey hunt together. I called him and I said, I have found something that rivals turkey hunting. <laughs> and he said, what? I said, I have found something that rivals turkey hunting. What are you talking about? Are you drinking already? And I said, yes, but that's not the point. I'm just kidding about the drinking part. I said, it's predator hunting. I just called in a fox, very first time out with his predator collar, called in a fox. And I said, I missed him three times, but I called him in and he tried to pounce on the decoy that I had out there. And that was just, I mean, my blood was pumping and I was fired up. I think I'm fired up now just telling the story again and reliving it in my mind. But that was some kind of fun, and that that was really kind of my introduction to predator hunting. And it very easily can be done in the South. I think, you know, we see so many videos of you guys out in the Midwest or out West doing, you know, coyote hunting or whatever else because you can see them coming from a mile away. But, shoot, man, when you're calling them in and you can't see them until they're 50 yards away, that's pretty dang exciting. So that's a little a little history on me with predator hunting, but I have, and I, and I got interested in it because of Cameron, but I've gotten interested now in wanting to learn how to call in coons. And my question to you is, so there's no season for raccoons in Alabama. I can go out and hunt raccoons right now if I want to. Is there a time of year that's better to call raccoons in? And if so, what kind of call are you using in that time of year? Well, I, I think first off, you need to look at the the whole pre- predator management scheme in general when you're talking about time of year, when, you know, when you should be doing it. If, if you're worried about predator management, if you're worried about just going out and doing it for fun, you know, to me, those are two different things. You know, whether you're yeah. trying to kill raccoons, coyotes, bobcats, whatever it is, you know, here in Nebraska where I'm at, you know, we have a season, we have a fur bear season. So usually we can only start killing raccoons usually November 1st through maybe the end of February. So we can't hunt them year round. So we're limited by that. I, I know a lot I of the you. Western States are the same way. Yeah. Maybe even some of the Midwestern States, I think probably once you get back in your country, it gets a little liberal um, on that. So obviously that's the first thing you got to do is, is look at the regulations because some States do consider raccoons fur bears, you know, from a, a predator management standpoint from raccoons, you know, raccoons aren't catching probably live turkeys, maybe the young ones. But what I think where where they do the most damage is is eating the eggs. Hundred percent. Yes. You know. So okay. When what time of year are the you know eggs on the ground? You know what are we talking? Probably May, June. 
I, I don't know. You guys are the yeah. turkey guys. A- April, May. Mm-hmm. You know, so so from a predator management standpoint, that's when you probably should start hammering. You know, maybe a month prior to that is when you should be like uh, Armageddon against raccoons on all your properties, you know, trying to thin them out enough where there's not this army of raccoons around all your properties eating every last thing they can find, including all the turkey eggs. If you can go through and thin out a bunch of the raccoons, you know, it'll take them more than a month or two to kind of fill back in once you kill a bunch of them out of there. And that's yeah. kind of the whole goal of predator management is to is to thin them out enough where whether you're talking coyotes, you know, and, and fawn recruitment and things like that. You know, bobcats are, are another th- probably an issue with turkeys. I, I'm guessing that's probably the the predator that probably catches the most live turkeys, if I had to say, mm-hmm. probably more so than coyotes, I'm guessing. Yeah. Um, yeah. You guys will probably know more about research on that, but. You know, so so back to the coon thing, if, if you're going to hunt them for fun, you know, I've always done it in the fall and winter just because that's been our seasons. Gotcha. If, if you're in parts of the country where you get a hard winter, you know, the, the tricky part about that is raccoons tend to den up sometimes. And, and once it gets really, really cold, they almost they go into kind of a, a weird state of hibernation. But it might only be for a, a small period of time until it warms back up. But if you're down in your part of the country, obviously, it never gets that cold, probably that, you know, those those raccoons aren't ever going to do that. So you can get them, you know, another thing too, you got to look at too is, you know, raccoons are only having little pups one time a year, you know, and it's the same and it's in the spring, like everything else. So, you know, early in the spring, you might have these mom, uh, a mom raccoon with a bunch of little dinky little baby raccoons, probably about the time you really need to be worried about the predator management side of things. But as those baby raccoons grow up, you know, throughout the spring and summer months into the early fall, they kind of stay together as a family group. And now those, those six month old raccoons are big enough now that they start either going out on their own as solitary, you know, raccoons trying to find their own little, you know, hole in a tree or, you know, abandoned house to live in, or they're still together as a group, but they're old enough to respond to the call. So I guess those are the things you got to really, I guess, consider. But for me, I've never done it for the predator management side. It's always been just <laughs> for the pure fun of it. Cause it is, it is yeah. just the craziest, funnest thing that you can probably do. And it doesn't take a whole lot of skill. And then they're like, like you guys have mentioned, there's raccoons, millions of them everywhere. So yeah, to me, that's what makes it fun is, is that part of it? Not so much the predator management side, but it's definitely an important piece of the puzzle. Yeah. So as far as coon killing, you said y'all season is November one through February. Yep. Yep. Here in Nebraska. Do you hunt them the same way in November as you do in February or do things change during that time period? I do. It's 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 a pretty simple process. I mean, unlike coyote hunting and calling bobcats, especially coyotes, obviously there's the ch- you know early season coyote hunting, and then you get into the breeding season and things like that. You know, I've never got into that much detail with raccoons because the same thing usually works whenever I do it, whether it's November or February or whenever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's pretty simple. You're just you know I don't know if you guys want to start getting into the kind of you know. The, the nuts and bolts of setting up on a raccoon stand, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Let's yeah, get let's in. <laughs> Teach us yeah, all. So, yeah. So essentially you're looking, you know, and calling raccoons in the daytime is something that really like fries people's brains. Like they, yes. when they see it, when, they, if they've never seen it, when they see it for the first time, it's like they say there, that ain't possible. Raccoons are a nocturnal animal. Yeah. You know? And that's I, true. I, I can attest. That's true. You know, it is true. I mean, obviously they're going to be way more active at night than they are in the daytime, but they're still there in the daytime. It's not like they disappear, you know? Um, It's just knowing 
where those raccoons go in the daytime is the huge key to calling in raccoons. So really you're looking for three types of areas when you're calling raccoons. The first one is probably what people think about the most is trying to find some hole in a tree. You know, a lot of times we're looking for the big cottonwood trees, um, you know, in, in, in a forest or a tree row or, or a patch of timber, you know, there might be a variety of, of tree species in there. And, and more than likely there'll probably be a few big cottonwoods in there. And maybe down in your neck of the woods, you guys have cottonwoods down in the southeast? No. Uh, so what type of trees down in the southeast are, are like the biggest that you'd find the, the big holes and knots and stuff in? Oak trees. Oak oaks trees, are, okay. Oaks or hickories, probably. Okay. Yeah, so, you know, that's all you're looking for is you're looking for a big, gnarly, big tree that, you know, has potential for a, a hollowed-out limb or a knot that has a hole in it. Um, even some big dead trees that maybe split. Now the center of the trunk's kind of hollowed out because it's old. You know, those are those are what I'm looking for, because that's where raccoons are going to be denned up during the day is in those holes. The, the second area um, I'm looking for are old brush piles, tree piles, like if a, a landowner, a farmer went through and cleared <laughs> out a, an area of timber and they left all they piled up all these dead trees into a big, massive pile, maybe like a burn pile, but they haven't burned it yet. Raccoons will burrow up and den into those a lot, too. Um, and then the last thing I'm looking for, which is probably my most fun way to call them is finding an old abandoned house um you know old abandoned farmyard with some old outbuildings an old barn you know because those raccoons will get up there in the in the roof and ceiling and underneath the floorboards and stuff and they'll use that old house or that old building to to den up for the day so that's really the first three things you got to find is is where those those raccoons are during the day yeah so you're you're finding places where they're sleeping essentially during the I mean, does it matter the hour of the day at that point? I mean, they're in the tree all day, aren't they? Yeah, or for the house, most part, or, you know, or, occasionally you might see. I'm sure we've all been out there doing something, and you might catch a raccoon moving in the daytime. It's not unheard of. But, yeah, but for the most part, you know, percentage-wise, majority of the raccoons are going to be sleeping somewhere in one of those three locations. So, yeah, that's exactly what you're doing is is you're just trying to, to find out where, to, where they're sleeping. And, and then, uh, you know, from that point, it's pretty easy uh, you know, you're just sneaking into wherever that is. Um, you know, you have your you have your electronic call. You know, I run a Lucky Duck. Um, so on the Lucky Duck call, you'll just go to your folder, and there's there's multiple folders for different things, and there's a full folder called Raccoon Sounds. So I just go into the Raccoon Sound folder, and there'll be four or five different ones on there. And you know, I'm getting in, you know, into their bubble. You know, I talk about coyote bubbles and things like that. Raccoon bubbles a lot raccoons aren't going to come running from three, 400 yards like a coyote will, yeah. mm -hmm. you know, you got to be almost right on top of them when you set up. So when you pull in there with your, your side by side or your truck or whatever, you know, I try to be quiet. Um, I'm not going to make a huge racket, but it's not, I'm not trying to be a, a coyote ninja like I am if I'm, I'm calling, you know, coyotes or bobcats, you know, mm -hmm. but I'm still, I'm trying to be quiet. I think, you know, if they hear you slamming the doors and you and your buddies laughing and, you know, crunching branches and stuff like that i i think there's a potential that that raccoon may be you know a little on the edge now where they might not want to respond to the call but Makes at sense. that point at that point whether you're whether you're calling a, a den tree you know the brush pile of the old building i'm gonna get within you know 30 40 yards of where i think this raccoon's at or raccoons are at um and then i'm gonna i'm gonna set up you know i'm gonna put the call probably in an, in an open area usually off to the side a little bit. So wherever I think that raccoon's 
going to come out of. I don't want the raccoon, the call, and me all in a straight line, if that makes sense. Yeah. Because a lot of times, the raccoons, don't, I don't think they have great eyesight, but if they come out of wherever they're at and they look at the call and they see you sitting, you know, almost like your turkey hunting, just sitting next to a tree or kneeling next to some brush or an old fence or something, and they see you, they're going to turn around and run back to their hole. Um, so I usually put the call off to one side or the other. So when they do come out of there, they're not looking right at me. They're only looking at the call and the sound. And, you know, at that point I'll set up and, you know, fire up the call and instantly I will crank the volume as loud as the, as the call will go. Um, and <laughs> I'll just, I'll crank it, you know, on those lucky duck calls, they usually have, they have a decoy that's attached to them. So I'll get the decoy going just to give it a little movement. And, and usually at that point, it usually happens within a minute, two minutes tops usually if they're in there and, you know, that raccoon wants to come out and see what's going on. It's it usually happens pretty fast. And that's one of the cool things. You're not sitting there for 20 minutes. I mean, this is yeah. like a five five minute deal and you're gone to the next spot kind of a deal. So um, I guess that's that's kind of the the nuts and bolts of the of the setup. What is you? your good go, ahead. go camera? I was going to say, what is your, you know, first set? First time out for the year, what's the first call you're going to use sound-wise? Is it a I use the same fight? sound every time. Yeah, I mean, it's 100% coon fights and coon distresses. That's all you're going to call them in on usually. Um, yeah. And and what you're getting is the is the adult, more aggressive raccoons that are coming in. You know, the ones, when you watch some of our videos and these raccoons come barreling out of there looking like a grizzly bear, you know, charging the call and they tackle it, those are the older dominant raccoons you know male female i don't really know but yeah. they're the older ones if you get not all raccoons are going to come running right to the call a lot of them will come out of the tree hole they may run around on the branches up in the tree they may come up on the brush pile and stand there and look down you know they may you know old abandoned houses and stuff they may pop up out of the chimney or stand up in a window of the old house and look out um those are usually the younger ones like i talked about earlier you know these raccoons will be in family groups so you know, the mom mm -hmm. or dad may come bailing out of there. You know, they're trying to defend the territory or they think something's going on. I really don't know what they're thinking, but, you know, they're the ones that are going to come aggressive to the call. And, and it's usually the younger ones that will sit back and, uh, you know, but they'll they'll still give you shots. You know, if you're ready to, you know, shoot them out of the house windows or shoot them off the branches or whatever, you know, you can still get those raccoons as well. Yeah. And so you're using what I mean, like, what is the specific name of the sound you're using is it called just raccoon fight no the the specific sound on that lucky duck call is called uh, the one i use is called raccoon distress number two now what i'll raccoon. do too is know, that I'll a lucky even... duck brand sound or is that yeah. from okay yep yep i talked about rick Pellett earlier you know him and i co-host that he actually recorded all these sounds that are on the lucky duck call so um like i said there's four or five on there that's the one that seems to be the best i think um i mean there's raccoon distress number one then there's like a coon puppies kind of sound. And then there's a, a couple raccoon fights. Um, so what I'll normally do is I'll, I'll let raccoon distress number one go for a raccoon distress number two go for maybe two minutes. And mm -hmm. whether I shoot raccoons or not, then I'll usually pick the more aggressive sound, which is is the fight. And I'll play that next for about two more minutes. So really, I'm going to sit there for about four minutes. And I'm just playing that sound as loud as the call will go. And continuous. I'm not stopping it. I'm not doing anything. And a lot of times, even if the first raccoon comes running in, I got the call blaring loud. And you, it, even if you shoot, you know, if there's other raccoons that that are on their way to the call, it's you know the the sounds loud enough that it muffles the shot. 
Um, mm. And then and then by going to that ag- next aggressive sound, who knows? Maybe you have a – I'm sure there's such thing as an educated raccoon, I'm guessing. Maybe a raccoon that came to the call before and, you know, much like <laughs> educated coyotes and stuff. I'm guessing that yeah. way because every now and then – less we'll, so than others. <laughs> a little bit smarter one, you know. And, uh, you know, so sometimes you switch to that second sound and it just triggers something a little bit more in them. And then they're like, well, I just can't resist that. I got to come out and check it out. So – um, but yeah, four minutes in or so, if I'm not seeing nothing, I'll just kill it and off to our next spot. Nice. Is Are that you... sound? Sorry, one more question on that. Yep, is, go ahead. is that is that sound downloadable to other game callers, or do you have to have Lucky Duck? Well, that particular sound is encrypted, so it only play on a Lucky Duck call. But most of the most of the Predator calls you buy, I think, will probably have a couple raccoon sounds on them. Mm-hmm. You know, I I can't say for sure, but. I'm guessing most do. Okay. Are you worried about wind direction at all when you're calling raccoons? Yes and no. Um, not nothing, you know, nothing compared to what, you know, the, the time we take to make sure wind is right when we're calling coyotes. Sure. Um, but you know, raccoons will smell you. I've seen it a couple of times where, you know, maybe we just couldn't quite get to where we wanted to. And we said, I'll with it. Let's just try it anyway. Even though the wind was blowing, kind of to where we thought the raccoon might come from you know they'll they will i've seen them hit your wind and turn around and run back into the house or wherever they come from but you know if i can i'm definitely you know i don't want my wind blowing right to where i think the raccoon's going to come from so i may i may move my way around you know to the the opposite side of the tree or the opposite side of the brush line or the opposite side of the farmyard or whatever i'm calling just to make sure that the wind is right okay so cameron you were running the pup in distress yeah so i was calling them here in tennessee we have no season or bag limit on coons anymore and so i was using the raccoon pup it was a coon pup distress call in like late june and july and it was murdering the sow coons yeah i mean that's a good strategy i mean as morbid as it may sound i mean if you kill off a (laughs) rack you know if you kill off a mom raccoon and you know, May or June. I mean, that's what we talked about as far as predator control wise. That's the time you probably need to be doing it. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just like anything, you know, if, if, if the pup raccoons aren't big enough to fend for themselves and you kill off mom, you might've killed eight with one shot kind of a deal, you know? Um, yeah. so, but yeah, that you're just, I think at that time of year, you're just keying off of, you know, that, that, that raccoons a little more aggressive because, you know, whether she thinks it's, uh, you know, one of her own in trouble or, or what, I don't really know, but, um, I think yeah. just hormonally, like that time of year, that sound is what you can get them with, I assume. Yep, yep. And it was all sows. Like, we killed one boar that came out of a brush pile, and he was he was just curious, and we shot him. The other ones were, like, running in to attack. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. That's so, the best ones anyway. Yeah, I mean, when you find, let's just say this November, you shoot a coon out of a big cottonwood and one coon comes out of that cottonwood do you come back to that tree a month later like will they be back in there that quick another yeah, one yeah i i think you know i don't call raccoons that much it's i mean it's t- here's how we call raccoons out here you know we're 99 percent calling coyotes and we call rat when we stop and call a raccoon we call it usually a morale booster you know, if we're driving from coyote stand to coyote stand and we see an old house or we see a tree, we might like, hey, let's just bail out real quick. Hey, this is only going to take five minutes. And then just to kind of 
because it's so fun and the, it's easy and the raccoons come running out, you know, and I might not be back to that spot for clear later in the winter, you know, and by that time, who knows, it may be, you know, single digits and, you know, maybe the raccoons are really hold up tight. And they're not really wanting to come out. Um, you know, when I go to Eastern Kansas with Rick, that's really where I've done a lot of raccoon hunting as far as like we made a day of it, you know, where all we did was go from raccoon stand to raccoon stand to raccoon stand all day long. Um, so talking to him about that, um, I think it has a lot to do with probably your, your density of raccoons in the area. So, you know, obviously that hole that that raccoon was living in and denning up in, it was a pretty good spot. And if you kill that raccoon out, if there's, if there's a pretty high density of more, maybe more raccoons in the area than there should be, it probably will faster than, you know, yeah. sooner than later, a new raccoon will move into that hole. If that makes yeah. sense, because there's probably these other, I don't know if they're transient raccoons or what, that are just kind of you know, going day to day, trying to find their own little spot. And then all of a sudden you kill the big dominant raccoon that's living in that hole. Well, now one of these, you know, younger raccoons now can take that hole over, but you're not going to hurt anything. I, I mean, I would think if you probably go back every month and, you know, especially if you maybe saw another rat, maybe another raccoon came out of the, out of that same hole, but he, you never got a shot at him or something like that. You know, for sure. I would, I would go back there. Cause obviously if it holds a raccoon once, I'll guarantee at some point there's going to be another raccoon in there. Yeah. I was just thinking if you have a successful call in a spot, that'd probably be worth dropping a pin on Onyx for, you know, even if it's just next year, it'd probably be a great spot to hit again. Oh yeah. That's, and we use Onyx a ton. So when we're walking in and out of coyote stands, especially down there at Rick's in Eastern Kansas, if we see something, if we're if like, we're just walking back to the truck after making coyote stand, I'm like, Oh man, look at that cottonwood tree. There's a big hole there. You know, when we get back to the truck, we'll drop a pin on that tree. And he'll mm-hmm. label the, you know, he may, all of his raccoon spots, he may have them a different color pin than what maybe his coyote stands, you know? So when you do get to that point where you're like, you know what, I'm going to go call raccoons all day today or all morning or all afternoon. Now you have all these pins drop for holes in trees, brush piles, you know, old abandoned houses, whatever it may be, all the three spots we talked about. And then you can actually put together a plan and say, oh, wow, I got enough here to go, you know, hit 15, 20 spots today, you know? Yeah, I mean... If you spent all day only doing raccoon stands with no limit on how many you killed, I mean, you think you could pile them up pretty good? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you could, you know, the the one video you may have watched, Andrew, we, we filmed, an, it was a full day of co- c- raccoon calling, yeah. and Rick was going to try to shoot one with his bow. Yeah, and then that I was, was just, awesome. <laughs> I was just there to back him up because I knew he wasn't going to hit because, you know, you don't ever shoot a bow. <laughs> his bow is like a 1994 it big aluminum. I mean, it was like, whatever. Okay. But it'll make for good TV. So he's trying to shoot these damn things with his bow and I'm just cleaning them up with shotgun or rifle or whatever. And I think we killed, I don't know. We killed nine or 10 that day. We didn't go crazy. We actually made, what we did is, is we made coyote stands for about the first two hours of the morning. Cause that's usually, you know, better coyote hunting time mm. knowing that the raccoon really didn't matter. And then we spent, we didn't, so we spent maybe the middle six or seven hours of the day hunting raccoons. And then when we went back to calling coyotes for the last hour, hour and a half of the day. So we didn't give it a full day, I guess. But yeah, I think if you put together a plan um, and had a good route laid out and had, you know, 20, I, I'm guessing in a day, you could probably, knowing that you're only sitting there for five minutes, I mean, you could hit probably 30 or 40 spots, Yeah. you know, because even in raccoon calling, like I said, they, they don't, a lot of times we may, we may pull into a spot. And we'll make a raccoon stand. Maybe there's a big cottonwood tree, a brush pile, 
but 100, 150 yards over there, there's another brush pile or another big tree or another old house. So we'll actually make one stand right there and we'll walk 100, 150 yards over that and make another stand. And we've killed, you know, raccoons in both of those kind of doing that before. So you may be able to get multiple stands out of one farm or, you know, one little drainage or something like that too. So, yeah, yeah I think you put together 30, 40 raccoon stands in a day. It wouldn't, I think you could pile up 20 or 25 pretty easy. Wow. That'd be pretty yeah. cool. It, uh, we, I mean, the, the ones we were killing in June, like you, we would just walk in there, make a stand, nothing, walk 200 yards, do it again, nothing, walk 200 yards, kill one. You know, because it's like you said, the they're not going to come running from a quarter mile. Like you got to be close. So yeah. you move a yeah, couple hundred yeah. yards. I'm you assuming might you had them. a block of timber. There was just a block of timber you guys were kind of in. So we're in like huge woods. So I mean, yeah. it it's just like looking for a needle in a haystack. I think it's just a matter of yeah. how many stands you make and don't yeah. hit the same spot twice. Yeah, that's another tactic too. If 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 you do, you know, we laid out the three types of areas you're looking for. But yeah, like you said, maybe you're hunting this big block of timber where it's like my, you know, I it's just so many trees in here I can't really tell. Yeah, yeah. Then you know, acres then, of oaks, you know. Yeah, mm-hmm. then you just then you could just blanket like you just did. You just blanket the area with stands. Just take off walking, you know, every every hundred hundred fifty yards or whatever. Just stop and make a five minute stand real quick. Yeah. Let the let the sound rip, and who knows? You may set up right on a tree, one maybe fifty yards over there that that there's a raccoon in you never know and they just kind of blanket that whole whole block of timber with stands and like you guys did you'll you'll kill some raccoons yeah that's what we you know my first time out i made like five stands i walked in made five stands in a row killed nothing i was like all right this is a sham i thought it was and then the (laughs) sixth one one just pops out like attacking my call i killed it walk another hundred yards another one literally like as soon as the sound hit my eardrums, there was a coon in full run in front of me. Like, I don't know how it got there that fast. And that killed it. I was like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. <laughs> you know, another thing we'll do, too, you know, if we're if we're specifically coyote hunting, um, but we're in an area where there, there might be a brush pile real close to where we set up on this coyote stand or a tree or house, at the very end of our coyote stand, a lot of times we'll play that raccoon sound. You know, on that on that raccoon video we were just talking about, the one at the very end that end up kicking and and it does kind that of a flip. Awesome, yeah. <laughs> that was an actual uh, coyote stand we had made right at dark, and no coyote showed up. So Rick's like, "Oh, there's a there's a big cottonwood right at the end of the pasture to our right, about a hundred yards, 125 yards." He's like, "You know, I've killed raccoons out of that tree before." So that's actually what happened at the end of the stand. We were we were done hunting coyotes, and he's like, "Oh, sit tight for a couple minutes," and he turned that raccoon sound on. And this raccoon come out of that tree a hundred yards away and come on a dead run, you know, as fast as a raccoon can run. And, and yeah, so, you know, he ended up missing it. The raccoon's just running for its life. It doesn't, doesn't really know where the shots are coming from. You know, that's the part, you know, we try to shoot them. I got this, uh, VR 80 rock Island VR 80 shotgun. It's like a, it looks like an AR 15, but it's a 12 gauge shotgun. And we got a red dot on the top of it. You know, it's not a bead like on a normal shotgun. And yeah, so it's it's a little weird trying to shoot, especially if you grew up shooting a beaded shotgun. Well, anyway, Rick, you know, this raccoon's like five yards at the call, and Rick shoots a little low. You know, the pattern's not more than probably the size of a softball. You know, almost, I think it hits the raccoon in the foot maybe, but the raccoon just turns and running, and it just happened to run right at me. It didn't know I was sitting there, but if you watch the video, I could just kind of – I had my knees. I was kind of sitting on my butt with my, you know, knees up, and this raccoon's just coming right at me, and I just kind of threw my foot out and – kick the thing and it does like a 
couple flips in the air <laughs> hits <laughs> hits the ground and it's still running so i'm i'm kind of shook and i jump up with my ar and i got a little red dot mounted on a 45 on the side that's dead on it like 20 25 yards and i just kind of rolled it over and, and shot him as he was running off but you know rick was he was pretty fired up about that it was it was a pretty funny deal that was pretty exciting with that shotgun, what size shot are you using on those raccoons? Because I know most of your shots are pretty close, but, I mean, are you a 12-gauge? Are you shooting number sixes typically? What what are you shooting? Yeah, I mean, so so you got to consider a couple things. If if you're just out there killing raccoons to kill raccoons, I shot, and you're calling them, shotgun's the, the best way to get them killed because they're running and it's, you know, mm-hmm. it's hard to get them in a scope and try to hit them with a, open sights or whatever. The downside to, to shooting them with a shotgun is if if you're trying to sell the raccoons, you know, if there's any value yeah. to their fur, um, you know, when you go to sell a raccoon, unlike a coyote, they they sell coyotes with their fur out once they're dried, stretched. Raccoons are are sold with their skin out, so you're only allotted two uh, 22 caliber size holes in the skin of that raccoon before you get docked. Um, so obviously, if you blast it with a 12 gauge and he's got you know 40 pellet holes in it, you know that coon's not worth anything. So yeah. that's one thing you have to consider if, if you're trying to make a little bit of money, which this season, I think, you know, coyotes aren't going to be worth anything, maybe five bucks. This will be probably the first year in quite a while that raccoons could potentially be worth more than coyotes. So, hmm. you know, you might, you know, get anywhere from, you know, four to eight dollars on the carcass for a raccoon in some states, you know, probably especially some of the you know Midwestern northern states, you know, where they fur up a little bit better but yeah so if, if you're trying to shoot them for fur you gotta you gotta try to get them with a, a 22 22 mag to 23 whatever but when it comes just for shotguns i've used everything i mean you most of your shots aren't far when, when they come to the call you never you know i usually place that call usually not more than 10 or 15 yards from where we're sitting and so i mean whether you're shooting with dove loads or you know, we end up usually shooting them with the coyote loads we have, which are three-inch BB, mm-hmm. some Hornady three-inch nickel-plated BB, which totally annihilates them. You know, Rick has a 10-gauge, and there's one video, and on one of our episodes, it's another one where we have some coon stuff in there, and this raccoon comes right at the call, and a lot of times they'll get to the call and hit it, and then they kind of realize, oh, you know, or they smell something they don't like, so then they take off running, yeah. so you're kind of shooting them on the run. Well, this raccoon takes off running perfectly broadside to us, and it couldn't have been more than about five or six yards. And Rick has this 10 gauge with, I think it was a, some T shot or something. <laughs> I don't even know. And he hit the, you know, like I said, at that distance, the pattern's not about the size of a baseball or softball. And he hits this raccoon right in the head. And the raccoon does a complete 360 degree spin in the air when he hits it with, mm-hmm. you know, it's almost like a Hollywood, you know, when people in Hollywood in the movies and they get shot with shotguns and it blows them back like five feet, you know? Yeah. You know, th- this raccoon did that. It was it was pretty wild to see that, you know, all those pellets hit that thing to do that. But, yeah, when it comes to shot size, usually it's whatever we have. It, it doesn't take, you know, dove loads okay. will kill them, you know, if they're only 15, 20 yards. Sure. Okay. If you want yeah. more of a challenge, you know, use a, use a rifle, you know, use a bow, slingshot, you know, whatever, you know. Well, yeah, I, I totally get that. And all I'm interested in is pure death. So... <laughs> It would be shotgun. <laughs> Way to go, yeah. man. You know, yeah. and, and what we do too a lot of times is, you know, when there's two of us, you know, I'll usually have my rifle or one of us will have a rifle, one of us will have a shotgun because not every raccoon is going to come running right to the call. You'll get the ones that'll, you know, there may be a whole family of four or five of them up in this big den hole in a tree and it's only the 
the big adult aggressive one will come down the trunk into the call. Well, then the rest of them may run around on the tree branches a little bit out of shotgun range. And then I can start, you know, whacking those off there with the rifle, mm-hmm. you know, same with, you know, old abandoned houses, you know, the big one may come right out the front door, you know, on a dead run. Um, but some of them may sit up on the roof or look at peek out the window at you. <laughs> you know, I've shot, it's fun. Cause that's my favorite is shooting them in the houses. Cause it's just kind of this weird thing, you know, like here's this raccoon peeking out of the chimney and <laughs> you yeah. shoot him in the face, you know, and he drops down the <laughs> chimney, you know, or here's this raccoon peeking, <laughs> peeking out the window, looking at you and you bam, you blast him right in the face, looking out the window, you know I mean? Or they come running right out or I've shot them off of metal roofs and they come, you know, kills them and they come sliding off the roof and then fall off and hit the ground. I mean, it's kind of morbid, but all, all stuff that makes it pretty entertaining when it you sound happen. like that makes you really sad <laughs> like i said i if you watch those videos i, I pretty much laugh the whole time we're doing you it do. um <laughs> and some people are like you're sick but it's just fun i mean it's just fun it's it doesn't take a whole lot of brain power it doesn't take a whole lot of skill and it's fast paced and you know it's usually pretty action-packed if you have the right spots hmm. so would you, in an area like we're faced with in the South, for the most part, most areas are this way, we have just big sections of woods. Would you recommend doing what Cameron did and just running and gunning? I mean, just hit a spot and if nothing responds in five minutes, walk another 150, 200 yards down the creek line or whatever and hit again or what? Yep. Okay. Yeah, that's exactly what I would do, you know, especially if you're having a hard time. I've had guys that have reached out to me. They watch those videos and we're, we're showing them this exact cottonwood and we'll show them the hole up there and say, hey, you know, and they'll walk around like, I can't find anything like that. You know, that's yeah. exactly what I do. If, if you can't specifically find a den tree, if you don't have brush piles, you know, there's raccoons in there. You know, you it's pretty easy, you know, just to walk around, a, you know, if there's a little creek bottom going through there you know, a little two track trail or something, you'll see the raccoon tracks in the, in the dirt or mud. Mm-hmm. So you'll know they're in there somewhere. Yeah. Now it's just a matter of like I call blanketing the the area with stands and it doesn't take long to cover quite a bit of an area when you're only sitting there for five minutes and then jump up and, you know, walk another hundred, 150 yards and sit down and do it again. Yeah. You can cover a pretty good chunk of ground pretty quick doing that. Yeah. Yeah. So how, I know you mentioned that the lucky duck call has the, the little decoy on the top, a little bit of motion there. How important is it, do you think, to the raccoon to have that movement, give it a little bit of realism? How, I mean, have you experimented with and without? Yeah, we've done it with both. I, I don't know if it's it's crazy important. If your call has a built-in decoy, I would use it. Would I run out and spend an extra, you know, 50 bucks on a decoy just to put with my call to have it? Probably not. Okay. You know, the great thing about raccoon hunting is, is, you know, you can do it on a budget. You know, e-calls nowadays... I mean, they run anywhere from a hundred bucks to, I mean, you could spend 800 to a thousand if you wanted to on the very high end one. You know, I use the high end ones because I use them all the time for coyote hunting, but you know, for, for a raccoon hunter, you know, you could buy one of the, you know, lucky duck makes a rebel, which is about $150 and it has one raccoon sound on it. It comes with 12 sounds. You can go to the next level up, which is the riot. It has a little bit better remote has like 50 sounds on it. So I think you probably get two or three raccoon sounds and it's, you know, 250 bucks for that one. So you don't need the biggest, baddest e-call that they make to do this. That's what's cool about it. You know, and even those have a little built-in decoy too. So, you know, if you have it, use it. Would I go buy something specifically 
you know, just for raccoons, probably not. How important is it for coyotes and bobcats? You know, same thing. Um, I wouldn't, okay. I would never run and, and use a, a decoy specific built into the call though. It's, it's, it's perfect because I can control the, I can control the decoy with the, with the remote, turn it on and off when I want. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's my same philosophy when I'm hunting coyotes. I use the decoy a lot, but it's only because it's built in and it gives me that little bit of movement, you know, the movement coming from the sound just adds to the realism that much more, you know, to help distract that coyote or raccoon or whatever it is. It gives them something to focus on, not just the sound. Now they see a little bit of movement coming there instead of really maybe picking apart the area and trying to find where you're hiding at, you know? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Switching, switching gears to the predators of big turkeys. Can you target specifically bobcats or, or is that kind of a, you make a predator set for coyote or bobcat? You know, anytime I've specifically tried to call a bobcat, I've never done it. I mean, all the bobcats I've ever killed have just been, I just got lucky and we sat up right where there was a bobcat. Um, mm-hmm. Majority of the bobcats I've killed have been in Arizona. Um, I have killed a, a couple out in East Kansas when I've been hunting with Rick. Um, and I've killed a few over the years here in Nebraska. We don't have huge numbers. Obviously, you guys have, you know, pretty good, pretty good bobcat numbers, you know, in your country, yeah. probably both of you. Yeah. You know, it's just a density thing, you know. I, to me, I've all the bobcats I've ever killed have been within under five minutes, you know. And there's this, mm-hmm. there's this uh, notion out there that you got to sit there for hours, you know, to call in a bobcat because they sneak and they, they hunt a little bit different than a coyote. You know, a coyote wants to be the first one there, um, you know, where a bobcat hunts and stalks like you and I would stalk something or you know, when we're out hunting. So, but every, every bobcat I've ever called has been quick, meaning, you know, we weren't very far from that bobcat when we set up, you know, the bobcat probably wasn't more than a couple, two or 300 yards tops. Um, and that's the key to me to bobcats. Bobcats aren't as thick as the coyote. So the chance of you setting up within two or 300 yards of a bobcat isn't as great as setting up Mm -hmm. 200, 300 yards from a coyote. Um, you know, and I think a lot of times, especially, you know, when you get into those areas where there's lots of brush and trees and stuff, I think people call in a lot of bobcats and they just don't see them. Um, they're expecting to catch, you know, like a coyote running out in the open. Um, you know, a lot of times those cats will use that cover like you and I would, and they'll yeah. come right to the edge and peek around the tree, peek around the brush. And once they spot you, they'll freeze right there and they won't, they won't move an inch until you get up to leave and then they'll run off. Um, so the whole goal, a lot of times the, the challenge to bobcat hunting, a lot of times is spotting the bobcat before they spot you. Yeah. The first bobcat I called in did just that. I was on the edge of a food plot and, and it was a small food plot. I mean, maybe a quarter of an acre, not big at all. And I was sitting there facing the food plot, had my decoy set up and the collar set up no more than five yards off the edge of the food plot. And I just noticed some movement out of the corner of my eye over to my right and cut my eyes over in that direction. And he was just slipping and he went down below the food plot and then came up to the edge of the food plot that, I mean, right in front of where the collar and the decoy was. And so, you know, he, he, was absolutely 100% using the terrain to his advantage to get, you know, in a position to where he could identify that he was within striking distance of that decoy. And so, yeah, there, I mean, I don't think anyone listening to this podcast would disagree with this statement. Cats are the ultimate hunters. If we could hunt half as good as cats, uh, I mean, we would be tremendous. So, yeah, yeah I agree. There, cats, you know, to me, the cats I've called in, I always think to myself, that cat was dumb. It's just weird how, you know, the fact that 
when you hunt a lot of coyotes, coyotes are just, they're just spooky in nature. You know, they just, they're, they just like, they're, they don't trust anything. They're, they're always looking over their shoulder. You know, they'll run off at the first, you know, anything like that. Mm -hmm. Bobcats, it's almost like they're so confident in their abilities. They don't have any real natural predators. You know, it's, it's not ingrained into their DNA like, like it is coyotes. Um, you know, so the Bobcats I do call in, I'm like, man, that thing was stupid. It just walked, it just snuck right up to the call and sat there (laughs) on its butt and looked at us from 15 yards away for eight minutes, you know, and we Mm -hmm. were laughing and whispering to each other and the thing just looked over at us, you know? Um, but yeah, the way they hunt though is, is, is unique. Um, and it is, it is top notch. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I've heard you now and several others say that calling, like when you do get a bobcat to come in, they're easy. And then also the trappers we've had on have said bobcats are easy, you know, but they're also really good hunters. So it's, it's funny to me that they're kind of easy for us to kill compared to a coyote. Yeah, the thing about bobcats is, you know, there's this nostalgia around bobcats for predator hunters anyway. Like that's the that's the grand trophy, right? When you kill a bobcat, um, and it's not that they're hard to call in. It, the The challenge to me of, of bobcat hunting is two things: they're just far and few between compared to coyotes. So the chance of you setting up where there's a bobcat within, like we talked about, three, four, five hundred yards to want to come to the call, is is challenge number one. And then challenge number two is spotting that cat before, you know, they see you, you know, the first Bobcat I ever called in buddy and I were in high school. We're sitting on the edge of a big Canyon scattered trees and we're blowing hand calls this is back in the nineties. And, uh, before, you know, before we had e-call technology, at least I hadn't bought it yet. Um, and we're blowing hand calls and we're expecting coyotes to come running in and stuff. And we'd sit, sat there 10 or 15 minutes and I was the first one to stand up and there was this little, you know, three foot pine tree down in front of us about 30 yards. And it was wide open for 40 yards all the way around the tree, just short grass. And I stood up and this bobcat took off run. It was sitting, it had snuck up to that little tree somehow without us seeing it. And it, had t- it took off running back down into the canyon. And we ended up getting a shot at it and ended up hitting it, killing it. But at that point, you know, that was the first encounter I ever had with bobcats. And I just kept thinking to myself, how in the hell did that bobcat get to that one little tree? I'm like I said, it was 40 yards of openness all around it without us seeing that sucker, you know. But we just weren't, we didn't know what to look for. We were, we were expecting to see lots of movement, you know, you know, looking for flashes of coyote, you know, running through the, the, the openings, you know. So, yeah, it's just they just hunt a little bit different and it's, it's hard to train your eye to, to catch those little bit of movement, the little movements that they do make. Yeah. Mm. Any, but yeah, from a predator management standpoint, you know, if you're talking about thinning out the bobcats on your property, calling is by far not the way to do it. You know, trapping, you know, those traps are out there 24 seven and the guys that do bobcat trap, like you said, it is easy. Once you, once they get in there and figure it out, you know, they can, you know, you can live cage trap a bobcat pretty easy, it's near impossible to get a coyote to go in a cage trap. Um, yeah. but, but guys do it all the time for Bobcats, you know? So, so yeah, I think if you're in that situation where you're, you have some, some property and you're trying to manage it for that, you know, you might go out and try it a little bit. Maybe you're getting some Bobcats on your trail camera or whatever, you know, they're in there. If you're going to try calling in Bobcats, I go usually try to find the thickest, gnarliest stuff I can find on my property. That's usually where the Bobcats going to be. And then kind of set up as close as I can to it. But, give myself enough buffer to where I can at least hopefully spot this sucker when it does come out of that thick stuff. But if that doesn't work, yeah, you need to start, uh, you know, get on Facebook or start asking around and see if you can find yourself a local trapper 
and and let them in there because they will do uh, they'll do the job that you need when it comes to thinning out some cats on your place. Yeah. As far as uh, calling coyotes, it seems like is that kind of the uh, the passion of yours, the main one. Yeah, it is. I mean, I don't pass up a bobcat or anything else we call in, you know, whether it's badger, raccoons, but but yeah, we're we're targeting the coyotes. That's just uh, that's just where it's always been for me. Well, as, as far as daytime coyote calling, it sounded like early morning, late evening, kind of like a deer hunter or something. That, that's kind of your prime time. Well, for most guys, I mean, that's usually the the standard is, hey, you're more guys are going to have better luck early in the morning and late in the day. And the reason for all that is that's just naturally when the coyotes are up on the move. Mm-hmm. So they're. So at that point, the coyotes are more willing to travel a little bit farther to the call. They're out on the hunt anyway, so they're a little bit more motivated to come to the call. Um, but just like just like raccoons and deer and everything else, you know, during the middle part of the day, the coyotes don't disappear. You know, they they're just like anything else. They're going to go find a secluded, isolated spot where they can lay up, bed up for the day, and and catch a little nap. And if you understand that and understand your area you're hunting and and you know try to isolate those areas you know we'll kill coyotes all day long um you know because you know we're just i you know early in the morning we're looking for those areas possible where the coyotes are up on the move on the hunt and then once that middle part of the day rolls in we're looking for you know areas on that property where the coyotes are probably laid up bedded up Hmm. and the afternoons and evenings i'm sorry when in the evenings and in the mornings as well when we hear that pack of coyotes howling like you know around where i hunt obviously getting dusk dark yeah one of them will fire off and then the rest of them start going and you know it sounds like they're all within 25 50 yards of each other is that safe to say that there's a den somewhere very close to that area if you're hearing that many coyotes howling from a very close it it just depends on the time of year Um, okay you know coyotes are coyotes don't use dens year round uh, they're only going to use oh. dens when, you know, the, the adult coyotes, if they have a, a litter of pups. So okay. coyotes are only going to use den sites from probably, you know, let's just say roughly, you know, May, April, May until maybe July, maybe when the pups are big enough to kind of start, you know, going out on their own. Um, you know, okay. if you're hearing a bunch of coyotes howling in November, there's not a, den, they're not using a den right there. Uh, you okay. know, it's just not the right type of year, but um, it's not to say they're, you know, sometimes these family groups of coyotes stay together for quite a long time into the fall and even the winter. And then obviously once you get into those late winter months, kind of the, the coyote rut, you know, starts up. Um, so the coyotes start, you know, grouping back up and the females come into heat and, uh, you know, everything like that. So I don't know, you know, people ask me that a lot, you know, what are coyotes saying? I, I don't have a clue, you know, to be honest with you, I don't use a ton of coyote vocalizations, but what that does for me if I was out there and heard those coyotes howl, it tells me one thing, and that's where those coyotes are at. And that's yeah. that's that's you know half the problem sometimes is is you're set trying to set up where you, where there's a coyote to hear the call, uh, and come in. And if, and if they're willing to howl and let me know where they're at, then hey, it's game on because now I know there's coyotes over there. Um, or maybe I'm not even coyote hunting. Maybe I'm doing something else. But uh, hey, guess what I'm doing? I'm, I'm registering that in my memory and saying hey. Next time I come in here, I'm going to come right back into this area because obviously if the coyotes were there howling, they're going to be right back in that same general area down the road when you come back in there. So that's really what I use howling for is more of a locating aspect. But as far as what they're saying, man, I there's lots of people that tell you what they're saying. I, everybody's just guessing. So I'm sure there's tons of information to pick up from Eastman's Predator Pro podcast on calling coyotes, but I've, I want to 
just ask a question just in general. So let's say you've located an area that you've either seen coyotes in or you've seen the sign, fresh sign, or it just looks like ideal habitat and location for you, travel routes or whatever it is that draws your eye right there to that spot. Are you then at that point in time using some sort of a prey in distress call, whether it's rabbit or ground squirrel or something like that? Is that is that your MO at that point? Or are you going to try some sort of pack vocalization, whether it's, you know, howls or, you know, whatever else? Well, if you look at an e-call, let's just take these lucky duck calls we've been talking about. I usually break them down. You know, they'll be like, let's say you go out and buy one of these lucky duck calls. There may be anywhere from 50 to 200 sounds on this call. And it's, you know, it's a variety of everything. You you can think of it if it's on there, right? Well, it's overwhelming if somebody hasn't done a lot of coyote hunting and they get them, they will go out and buy this call. And let's say there's a hundred sounds on there and you're like, wow, I don't even know. There's, you know, 14 different folders and they're labeled, you know, jackrabbit, cottontail, bird, you know, and then you open up these folders and there might be, you know, three or four different cottontails in there and you open up the jackrabbit one and there's three or four jackrabbit distresses and the birds the same. And then you start getting into the coyote sounds and you start reading, you know, here's a pup distress folder and you have a, uh, a coyote fight folder and you have a breeding sounds folder and you have, you know, a variety of howl folders, you know, serenade howls and lone howls and uh, interrogation howls and this and that. So it gets overwhelming when you start looking at this, like, when do I when do I play what? What do I use? So what I normally do is tell everybody to break those into three categories. You have all your prey distress sounds or category number one. So I don't care whether it's a rabbit, a bird, a ground squirrel, whatever. Those are prey distress sounds. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of times, I really don't think it really matters what you play. A lot of people, I think, overthink what they're going to play. I think they think, oh, wow, there's there's birds in here, so I'm going to play a bird. Well, I don't think it really matters. I don't know if a, to a coyote, I think it's just something in distress, and they're going to come you know, investigate it or come to eat it, whatever. Your second category is what I call all your coyote vocalizations, like you talked about. You know, That could be your group howls, your serenades, uh, your lone howls. Anything where one, two, three, four coyotes just howling. And your last last category is all your coyote pup distresses and your coyote fights and all your basically your other coyote sounds other than howling. You know, that's your pup distress, your coyote fights. Uh, and, and you go to those folders and there may be a variety of different ones that have just different sound sequences in them and different different pitches and, and different, you know, aggression levels. You know, some of the coyote fights are really, really aggressive. You know, some of the pup distresses will be more, you know, if you picture maybe like a two or three week old coyote or even a just a dog puppy, you know, the little whiny noises they make, you know, there'll be a variety from that all the way up to just knock down, drag out, you know, adult coyote fights. So I really look at those three categories. So for me, you know, I'll use I'll use some sort of prey distress sound a lot of times. But really where it's at for me is in the coyote bass sounds, the coyote pup distresses and the coyote fights. To me, that just triggers something a little bit different in coyotes. You know, even the smarter coyotes that maybe have been hunted a little bit, a lot of times they can't resist those kind of sounds. They got to come in and check it out. So I play a ton of that. You know, I don't know if I could put a percentage on it. Probably, you know, anywhere from, you know, 60 to 75% of the sounds I play on a stand, regardless of the time of year, are those pup distresses, coyote fights, breeding sounds those those coyote bass sounds hmm. interesting okay. yeah that is interesting i don't know why i just always thought like all right rabbit in distress that's yep. the go-to yeah that's you what, know and that's a lot of and, and that's and, and that's the way a lot of guys think you know and i was just talking about this on a podcast the other day about kind of the history of calling coyotes you know and especially let's just take the southeast where you guys are from you know coyote calling coyotes is a fairly new thing 
I mean, mm-hmm. you, there might be a few guys in your counties that have done it, but I, I bet you there's nobody that's done called coyotes for more than 15 or 20 years in your neck yeah. of the woods, just yeah. because probably you haven't had, you know, the abundant amount of coyotes, you know, 20, 30 years ago, there was probably not near the coyotes there are today in your areas would be my first guess. If you'd agree. True. Yeah. So it wasn't, there wasn't really enough coyotes, you know, 20 years ago to really do it. So you look where out West we've had coyotes for a hundred years. So you have generations of coyote hunters. Okay. Which have taught, you know, taught the next generation of coyote hunter and so on and so forth. You know, grandpa's teaching the sons and sons teaching the grand, you know, that kind of deal where in your neck of the woods, it's really first generation guys hunting coyotes. Right. So where have they gained all their knowledge? You know, they've gained all their knowledge through reading articles, watching the videos, and where most of that stuff come from out west, right? Yeah. So there's really not a knowledge base of how to how to do it out east. And, you know, that makes it challenging when these guys, you know, to start, you know, get out there and start to do this stuff. But, you know, there's tons of coyotes where you guys are at. And I think, you know, if it's done the right way, you're going to kill a bunch of coyotes. Yeah, yeah. I've always just gone out and just run the rabbit in distress, which is why I— you know, the first time I called in something, I called in a fox. The second time I called in something, it was a bobcat. And the third time I called in something, it was a coyote. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, the three times I had success was a different critter every time. And and if you're going to hunt coyotes, it seems like you would want to go out and run coyote calls. Well, Cows, you know, and the thing bikes. to think about, you made a good point here. You know, where I'm at, it's 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 90 percent. We don't have, I mean, we have a few red fox, but they're usually more close around the farmyards and stuff like that. When you get out in the big pasture country and stuff, it's pretty much all coyotes. Like I said, our bobcats are far and few between, but if you have an area where you could potentially call in all three, and and when we hunt down in Arizona, that's usually the case. I mean, at any given minute, you could have a gray fox show up, bobcat, coyote, it doesn't really matter. So in those situations, we do stick to a lot of prey distress sounds for maybe the first two-thirds of the stand because obviously once you start once you switch to coyote fights and pup distresses i'm not going to say it's never going to happen because we actually called in a gray fox on coyote fights this past year down in arizona and i have called in a bobcat before on a series of pup distresses but it's but it's really unheard of so once once you start getting rid of the prey distress sounds go to the coyote fights and, and coyote pup distresses and stuff like that you know, your chances of killing a fox or bobcat is, is pretty much over. So if you are in those areas, you know, start off with maybe a series of prey distress sounds. You know, I don't usually let one sound play for more than four or five minutes before I switch to a different sound. And then, you know, towards the end of your stand, after maybe you've played prey distress for eight, 10, 12 minutes, you know, I always like to finish the stand with some sort of coyote based sound because there could be a coyote out there that, you know, just for whatever reason, didn't really care about that prey distress sound. Maybe he's already heard it and somebody shot at him and, educate him a little bit or whatever it may be but then all of a sudden at the end of the stand you fire up that a pup distress or a coyote fight and then here this this coyote comes rolling in you know 15 minutes in on a dead run and he'd really just been sitting out there the whole time listening to everything else you said with a coon you're starting it off just absolute blaring whatever your thing can go volume wise same deal with a coyote or you gradually increasing yeah it's it's a little bit different with coyotes you know these these e-calls are crazy loud like you know for example we've been calling raccoons before and had coyotes show up down there in ricks in eastern kansas the coyote was maybe on the back side of the yard farmyard or on the other side of the tree row and here he came over to the coon fight or whatever we had playing on but generally speaking for coyotes you know, I'll find a volume that I think is acceptable. How how far do I think the sound's going out? Uh, you know, most coyotes are responding from 800 yards and in, which is a half mile. 
so I'm thinking, okay, how much, how much volume do I really need to get my sound out there to maybe that six, 800 yard, you know, arc around my stand, you know, this, this 180 degree circle, imaginary circle that goes out from where I'm sitting, you know, how, how much sound do I need to get that far? You know, if the wind's blowing 30 and then I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to need to maybe crank this baby at max volume, but if it's pretty calm and pretty wide, you know, maybe more wide open, well, Hey, maybe I only need, you know, half volume or something like that to get the volume that far. So that's usually what I'll, you know, make a determination before I sit down of, of really how much volume do I think I need to get to where the coyotes are. Um, and then to that point, you know, right when I start the stand, I'll, I'll pretty much get it to that volume right off the bat and then just leave it there throughout the stand. Uh, you know, until I'm ready to go. Okay. That's pretty interesting. I've always just kind of work the volume up, at, you know, when I first start running it and then work the volume back down and then I end my stand and move on to the next spot. But that's, you're, you're just getting going at whatever volume you think the coyote's at and you're just letting it run from there. Yeah. One of the cool parts about, you know, one of the, the trademark deals on these lucky duck calls is the ability to spin the call. Mm-hmm. It's a huge thing when it comes, when you just look at the dynamics of, of sound and casting sound out across the landscape, you know, in these, these e-calls, they have a horn speaker. So, you know, without drawing a diagram, this, you know, picture this sound coming out roughly in the shape of a triangle. Yeah. Okay? Very directional. So, so yeah, right where the speaker's pointing is where the sound's going to travel the farthest. It does travel off to the sides, you know, but not as far. So if you picture having a, you know, 180 degree half circle in front of you of area where you think there could be a coyote. And then all of a sudden you have to set your call down out there. You know, a triangle is only filling up less than a third of that 180 degrees with sound, right? Mm-hmm. Theoretically speaking, right? Well, by, by being able to spin that sound, now that point, now picture that point of that triangle. If I spin my call to the left and spin it all the way back to the right, now the point of that triangle, which is as far as that sound's going, has covered that entire, you know, radius of that 180 degrees, which has now laid sound on that entire area that I'm hoping, you know, hoping that there's a coyote. in. so uh, that helps with volume where you don't have to crank it as far or as, maybe as much. Yeah. And it also adds in the realism of, I think, you know, if, if a coyote's off to the right and then all of a sudden I spin the call to the left, well, obviously he's going to hear a little bit less volume for a second. Right. And it, and a lot of people think it could add to the realism of movement, you know, coming from the sound. Maybe there really yeah. is a rabbit rolling around or a coyote's got a, you know, rabbit or their coyote's fighting or whatever it may be. So, but yeah, but I usually keep the call going the same volume. I, some guys, when they get a coyote coming, they'll volume it down. I usually keep it going the same volume. And that's because I feel, you know, if, if let's say there really was a coyote or rabbit dying right here. I mean, do you really think the rabbit's going to get quieter as the coyote? Gets <laughs> yeah, <closer? that's> what <laughs> I, you know? Shit, and, and, here it comes. Yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna cry a little quieter here because there's a coyote coming, you know. Uh-huh. So I kind of luckily I'm not but... as distressed with this coyote chasing me. <laughs> yeah. So so I usually leave the volume going. I, I feel as a predator, you know, they're expecting that noise to get louder as they get closer. I think it helps True. spark that that predatory instinct in them to really get them. All right, I'm getting closer here. You know, here it comes. And then another thing too the more volume you have going on the call when you shoot the coyote, you know, the more it is to muffle your shot in case you have a second coyote coming, uh, you know, they're, you know, they won't hear your shot or your gun, you know, over the call as easily. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't be, you know, I tell people this, don't be afraid to play your call. You know, you're not, I think a lot of people think they're going to spook coyotes off because they played their call too loud. You know, I, I tell people that's not usually the case. Can it happen? I suppose it probably can. 
you know, but I tell people this, there's really only one constant thing, one thing that that's a hundred percent in coyote hunting. And that's, if they can't hear it, they won't come, you know? So I want to make sure when I leave an area, I want to make sure that, Hey, if there was a coyote there, he heard the call, whether he came or not, that's a second, you know, that's a whole separate deal, but I want to make sure he at least heard the sounds I was playing, uh, to give myself a chance to, to kill it. Yeah. And scent control on coyotes, pretty, pretty advantageous. Yeah. You guys got it easy as turkey hunters. You know, just think if turkeys had a good nose on them, how much harder it'd be. Yeah. <laughs> That's very true. Quit. Yeah. You guys would quit probably. Right. If, if uh -huh. turkeys could smell as good as coyotes. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, scent is, is super important, you know, and it's not so much scent. It's just, it's, it's knowing where the wind's at, understanding wind, understanding where your scent's traveling when you're sitting on a stand, you know, approaching your stands with the wind in a favorable direction. You know, that's the biggest part about it. You know, we talked about that 180 degrees of area. You know, when you pull up to a spot that you're going to call, you know, I'm just labeling as that 180 degrees of area out in front of us. The, the easy thing to remember in order to have the wind right as I'm walking into that stand is my wind, is my scent blowing anywhere into that 180 degrees? If it is, mm -hmm. then you don't have the right approach. You don't have the right setup. You need to come in from a different side, a different angle, whatever it may be. But if I'm walking into that sand and my sense not blowing into that 180 degree, then, hey, I got a pretty good idea, a pretty good approach. You know, my scent, my my wind should be pretty good. But I don't worry anything about scent control. I don't wear scent blocker. I don't spray. I've done I've told this story a handful of times on my podcast and things like that early on when I started hunting coyotes back in high school. You know, that's the first thing probably as a coyote hunter, if you're getting, if you're new to it is, is realizing that these coyotes are smelling you, you know, here coyotes coming really good. And all of a sudden it just whips around, like it turns inside out and just sprints out of there. And then you're like, what in the hell happened? And then you kind of realize, oh, my wind's blowing, right? The wind's blowing from me right to where the coyote was, you know? So he smelled me, right? Yeah. So as a young hunter that had happened to us a couple of times. So I decided I was going to go buy some fox urine. I had read an article about that the coyote trappers use fox urine around their coyote sets because the coyotes will smell that and come in to investigate and then they'll end up stepping on the trap and, and get them. So I went and bought this little bottle of fox urine and my buddy and I sprayed ourselves down with this fox urine, you know, a scent control. <laughs> 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 and we walk out on the stand and sure, we don't see a thing, you know, so we're kind of bummed and, and we walk back and it's a cold, it's a winter morning, so it's it's pretty cold and we walk back and jump in my pickup and close the doors and we start instantly dry heaving, you know, cause the stench of the fox <laughs> oh was so God. bad and we just couldn't, I mean, it was, we had to throw our clothes in the back of my truck. It was just terrible. <laughs> so, um, you know, after that we tried the scent killer, we tried all that, you know, coyotes were still winding us. All it did is make us complacent of where the wind's going, you know? So yeah, there was a point finally I said, you know what, we're, I'm just going to, I understand that that's what the coyotes want to do. They want to try to get, your wind, that's the fastest way for any canine to, to find out exactly what this is or where it's at is to use their nose. And, and that's really why the coyotes circle. That's why the coyotes want to use their nose. So, you know, we just have to have our setups on point to where if this coyote does decide to circle, I can see the downwind, downwind of, of, of where the call is, downwind of kind of where my scent's blowing because I need to be able to kill those coyotes when they circle, you know, on that downwind half, as I like to call it. And then and then get them killed. So yeah, I'm not a, I'm not a Nazi when it comes to guys smoking and 
filling up with gas in my truck, you know, before we head out coyote hunting, I could care less about all that because if I'm sitting on a coyote stand, the cigarette smell, the gas smell, my human odor, it's all going the same spot. And if a coyote gets there, you know, it's going to be a, a done deal. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. I've got one more question about the coyote circling. And I told you I had 200 and 16 or 218 questions and i probably do but we're gonna <laughs> i want to be respectful of your time and and you know we don't want to make the show run too long either but when that coyote's circling the call the caller and the decoy to try to get downwind is there a range that he is typically coming within downwind to uh, of that call in your experience and well, is it he, different from where you hunt you know across the country you know, it, it just really depends on the setup. It depends on the coyote. You know, I've had coyotes circle the call at five yards. Hmm. I've had coyotes circle 500 yards downwind. You okay. know, obviously the, when, when I'm seeing coyotes circle at four or 500 yards, it's big, wide open country. Obviously I'm not, you know, your guys' yeah. neck of the woods, you're not going to see a coyote circle at 500 yards. I don't necessarily think they would. I think the a reason a coyote would circle out at four or 500 yards is because it is fairly open. And I think that's where that coyote feels comfortable is out that far away because he could see clear to where we're at. He might not necessarily see us, but he can see that far to where the sound's coming from. You know, I think as you get into more cover, coyotes will still circle, but they'll circle less just because yeah. they have, they have the confidence that there there's more cover there. There's more vegetation, whatever it may be, you know? So yeah, use that in your setups. Uh, you know, especially if I'm assuming a lot of your, your listeners are, are probably from Midwest, Eastern part of the United States, you know, use that to your advantage. I mean, you guys watch this Western stuff and you, you see these coyotes cross these big wide open fields and pastures and come right to the call. You know, it's not to say that coyotes don't do that in your spot, but out here it's open all the time. Coyotes are used to having to cross openness all the time in your neck mm -hmm. of the woods. They're not right. They have all kinds of cover, you know, and that's where the thermal, I mean, we could have a spend a whole podcast on thermal hunting in your neck of the woods and why guys have more luck at night thermal hunting because they're getting the coyotes to come across those open areas at night because the coyotes feel more comfortable where in the daytime, understand what the coyotes are going to do the coyotes want to use that cover and and whether you set a guy downwind right on the edge of that tree line back into that cover a little bit to 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 pick off those circling coyotes that are going to try to use that cover to get downwind and then one of you stay you know upwind with the call you know to maybe kill the the one that does pop up right out in the open right out in front of the call you know that's a great tactic to use when you're dealing with you know vegetation and cover and not you know vast amounts of openness yeah that's interesting that's something to think about you know when you say for somebody like me who doesn't do a whole lot of predator hunting when you say stuff like that and answer these questions that i'm asking i'm, I'm like oh well that makes perfectly good sense you know if i <laughs> sit back and think about it for five minutes that's you know generally kind of what i would have <laughs> thought but yeah that's yeah, just like anything, you know, everybody's used to being told what to do. You know, I mean, like uh, if you're new to coyote hunting, you're hoping you're going to read an article and you're hoping somebody's going to go tell you exactly what to do. Right. I mean, no different if you're new to turkey hunting or whatever, you're hoping that somebody's, you know, you don't, I don't think a lot of people want to really go try to find out on their own. You know, it's like easier to just have somebody tell you exactly what you need to do and then you go and do it. Right. Yeah. But that, oh, yeah. that's the, that's the problem with a lot of this stuff is that's great if somebody tells you how to do it. But did you really learn anything? You know, did you really learn why you're doing what you're doing? And that's a huge part about it to me is, you know, especially the coyote hunting in the eastern part of the United States, uh, you know, guys have read stuff on how to do it. But are you really learning, you know, really the, the dynamics of coyote hunting and why the coyotes are doing what they're doing and 
why am I calling the way I'm calling? Why am I calling as long as I'm calling? Where am I setting up where I'm setting up? Or are you just doing it because somebody told me that's what I needed to do? You know, so that's a huge mm-hmm. part of, you know, if you're in anything, you know, I, I, I challenge people to learn, you know, learn why you're doing what you're doing, you know, and you'll become a better hunter. You'll understand it more. Things will make more sense and light bulbs go off and you're like, wow, that makes a lot more sense. I'm kind of an idiot. I don't even know why I was doing that. You know, it doesn't make any sense at all once you really think about it, you know? So, so yeah, challenge yourself and, and learn it instead of just going out and doing what somebody told you to do. Yeah. 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 That's a, that's a good point. This has been awesome. Cameron, do you have anything else for Jeff? Because I'm sure I could keep him on for another hour and a half, but I know he doesn't want to spend the whole night with me. Do you think here in Tennessee on uh, October 4th, which is tomorrow, I can go call a coon up? Oh, for sure. I think right now, you know, those pup raccoons are what, probably five, six months old? Yeah. You know, I'm guessing. Yeah. I, heck, if I if it was legal here, I'd go do it tomorrow, too, here in Nebraska, but it's not quite open yet, you know? Well. This, the ones that didn't step in my trap last week are about to get the reckoning. So, <laughs> go find you a house. Come on, that's the best. Man. Oh, I have already you, have you called exactly, out of an old house yet? I know exactly where one is in a graveyard right by where I can hide. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna go call Coon out of that house. <laughs> yeah, how the house is 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 pretty dang fun because you could pull right up in there with the truck, really. I mean, and just kind of go off to the side. Yeah. Find an old house, man. That's that's the best. Shooting one coming right out of the front door. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. Jeff, this has been a blast, man. I've just thoroughly enjoyed this. I've learned a lot. Really appreciate you spending your, your time and sharing your knowledge with us this evening. And we need to do this again sometime soon. Yeah, for sure, guys. Yeah, and if anybody listening wants... Uh, kind of sparked a little bit of interest in, you know, maybe getting after the coyotes or bobcats or whatever. Yeah. You know, check out the podcast. It's nothing but, but predator hunting stuff, but we talk about all kinds of stuff, mountain lions, bears, lots of tactic stuff. I've had guys on from Georgia and all across the country talking about the little differences in land access and, and terrain and, and everything. You know, we talk about thermal hunting quite a bit, which is pretty popular nowadays when it comes to the predator game, but, but yeah, the videos as well. You know, anybody wants to find any information on all that, they can just go to my website, which is coyotecraze.com. That has links to, you know, the coyote schools I put on, all the videos and, and podcasts, as well as articles I've written. So, yeah, just a crazy amount of, of predator-related stuff for them to find there. Yeah, a bunch of good stuff, for sure. I'm, I haven't listened to the podcast yet, but you better believe the next time I get in the vehicle to go somewhere, it'll be on. So, I'll, I'll be checking that out. And the videos are fantastic. You and Rick have a great rapport together. I don't know how long you've known each other, but it's obviously for more than a couple of days because y'all are fun to watch together. <laughs> like yin and yang, man. There you go. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Thank you Good so stuff. much. I really yeah. enjoyed it. I'm going to send you some pictures of some dead coons this weekend. Yeah, I want to see it, man. We'll we'll be, uh, I think we're going to do we're going to do a podcast on raccoon calling as well. We'll probably tell more stories than anything cuz yeah, we could have spent an hour just telling some crazy raccoon stories, you know. But yeah, so if you want some more information on raccoons, check that out and I want to see those video. In in today's day and age, man, break your phone out cuz it's pretty easy like you could it's all close range, right, with these raccoons. So mm-hmm. just tell, just hold the hold the uh the phone in your hand and, and record it, you know, see how close you can get them. That's, that's the challenge. Put the call right between your feet and see how close <laughs> you, can, you can get them before you sh- freak out and shoot them. <laughs> <laughs> or see how far you can kick them. Like you did in that one. Video. Yeah. 
Hey, we'll, we'll start a new trend on TikTok. Like we call it the, how close you can get the <laughs> raccoon before you blast it in the face with the shotgun. Right. Yeah. That, that ought to get, <laughs> that ought to get banned on Instagram pretty fast. Our, our coon kicking contest. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, furthest stuff. coon kick wins the year yeah yeah <laughs> good stuff this is weird. all right well jeff thank you man have a great night and let's talk again soon and and definitely stay in touch you bet guys appreciate you having me on all right goodbye when i mentioned in the interview that i wanted to thank him for wasting a monday as far as productivity with work is concerned what i forgot to mention to him was the fact that while I was watching those videos, their last stand videos on YouTube, I ate an entire bag of chicharrones. Was not even paying attention to what I was doing. I was just hammering down the, the pork skins and watching them shoot some predators. Man, I mean. <laughs> what a day. <laughs> <laughs> All I needed was cold beer and a nap and my day would have been complete. Yeah. All yeah. right. I got my Saturday plans now. I'm, <laughs> I'm going out to my turkey building and uh, see you tonight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But the videos are great, man. I mean, they're, there's not all this drama built into them. Yeah. They give a lot of good instruction and there's killing going on. And I mean, yep. these dudes are out and out slayers. I mean, yep. they get after them. And so I haven't done it yet, but it, it is very soon to be added onto my subscription list in my podcast player app. I'll be adding the Eastman's Predator Pro podcast on that. Yeah. You know, uh, I want to support those guys and what they do and, you know, learn I, in the process. Absolutely. Uh, so. I want to support those guys big time because what they're doing is good for them, helping us, and I'll take every predator they kill for sure. You know, no doubt. That, that's a that's a bonus. No doubt so, about it. Man, that was stuff. just that was awesome. I mean, that ranks right up there. I'm going to say in my top three of the yeah. episodes that we did. Just his passion for what he, he does is it. infectious, man. Yeah, you can tell he absolutely loves it. Yeah, yeah. So but no excuses now, guys. No Get excuses. Out and kill something. <laughs> you got go, traps. You got calling. Do it. <laughs> go do it this weekend. It's yeah. the perfect time. I, so. I tell you what I'm going to do. I, actually, you know what? I'm going to save it for next week's episode because it's going to be us. So I, I have ideas of how I'm going to integrate calling coons into my every day. I like it. Yes, I like sir. The sound of that. All right. Well, I'm just going to throw this out there before we get on to the favor of the day. We are 170 days, 13 hours, 48 minutes, and 57 seconds away from opening day of spring turkey season in alabama hey, it's coming quick time yes, to yes better be getting plans done folks if you wait till january 1 you're late <laughs> a lot of truth that's to all that. i'm saying so it, a lot of truth it's to coming quick I, I cannot wait cannot I, wait i almost hate to say this because i haven't done it myself yet but if you're going to Nashville, you probably need to go ahead and reserve your room at the Opryland if you're going to stay there for the NWTF convention. Yeah, good call. Yep, those usually go quick. And if you're going to Unicoi for the Custom Callmaker Show, they're not as likely to sell out there, but you may want to go ahead and reserve a room now. That thing's so, growing. You yes, never know. Yes, it is, and well worth it, I'm telling you. If you and Audrey don't go... Next year, 
because it'll be in January. I just don't know what I'm going to do with you. <laughs> I don't know I, what I'm going to do. It's always like the best weekend of duck season. <laughs> I, I, I really want to go, but man. I'm sure there's ducks in North Georgia somewhere. I don't think quite as many migrate through North Georgia as there do uh, Mississippi Flyway. I've seen plenty of pond ducks around yeah, there. I mean, I'm sure you can go ponds. whack a wood duck roost or something, but... No, I'm talking like those ducks that don't fly. Well, oh, I mean, yeah, nice. The like, you know, King Emperor-looking duck thing. Sure, yeah. Yeah, the big as a snow goose. Them. Yeah, there's a lot of those. <laughs> awesome. So, uh, Cool. Well, you want to give the favor of the week this week? I do. So support Jeff Nimnick, The Last Stand. Go on YouTube, subscribe to that. Subscribe to his podcast, Eastman's Predator Pro Podcast. If you enjoy what he's the content that he's distributing, reach out to him, tell him, number one, thank you. Number two, I heard you on the Turkey Hunter podcast. And if you'll do that for us, that's a huge help. I'm going to give you a part B for the favor of the week. I said it last week. I'm going to say it again. Join the NTA, the National Trappers Association. Even for you listeners out there who do not trap, it's very inexpensive. It's, I think it's 30 bucks a year to, to become a member. They send you a magazine on trapping. If you're not interested in it, you probably won't read it, but that doesn't mean that you can't pass the magazine along to someone who will. Donate yep. it to a library. You know, If you don't want to read the magazines, donate them to a library so that somebody can read them, use them, and enjoy them and learn from them. But it will go to protect something that needs to be protected. We have to manage these predators. Yes, 100%. We're already seeing things get out of hand. Good call. Good good favor of the week. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. Yep. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. We know that you have choices. We appreciate you spending your time with us. We hope you have a wonderful week, and we look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.